Okay, without any further ado, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Thanks to Dave Weinkub. I have yards somewhere in my father today, but I'm down with a uh, big corona, so uh, I can't do it the regular way. Uh, so what I propose to do, and, and I didn't trust myself on getting this right um, in terms of recording it, but I do trust Dave Weintraub because he's the expert in this. And so I appreciate for him for putting it on the Zoom. And then after this, so we'll figure out what to do with it. Um, so this is a Hadron when the Gamora just finished. And I know I'm doing it in an unusual way, but circumstances are such. I didn't get a chance to say cottage today or anything. So I hope I can do this. Lizeh uh, is my father. And without any further ado, let's have uh, some fun. This is on the Rishalmi Beitza. I wanted to do uh, Ksuvis for my father's year, but about a month ago, two months ago, whatever it is I saw, it's too long. And so I switched to a shorter Masechta. I haven't done this uh, Yushalmi business in Beitza for a long, long time. Many, many years ago, there was a guy, uh, Rabbi St the, the famous Dr. Steinberg in Israel, and he actually put out, I don't know where I have it with me somewhere, a, a nice addition. I did it with the high school boys long ago, Yushalmi on Beitza which is very interesting, but um, anyway, this time I did it uh, differently, but I'm not going to do the Hadron, I'm sorry, the end of the Siam, just go right into it. So we're looking at the Rishami. I have a, a very interesting book. One of the reasons I want to do it is, is a video is so I can do show and tell, because I think it makes it uh, more interesting, at least to me. So here's a safer called Amri Bamaroa, which was picked it up a couple years ago, and as you see, it lists the machlok is in, in the whole shots between the Bavli and Shalmi. The guy who did the uh, Kovitz Hakiris uh, and all the vacation. So he did a good job. So since you, uh, Bates is all about Helkis Yantav, as you know, Laws Yantav, I said, let me take a look over there. Is there a significant, interesting difference between the Bavli and Shalmi connected uh, in terms of Helkis Yantav? And I was drawn to a particular subject, and here I go. Minat Torah. How are you supposed to spend Yantav? Minat Torah. Right? Not rabbinically. How did God, not some rabbi, ordain spending the day at a holiday? I mean, way back in the biblical era, okay? When most Jews were farmers and not everybody went to Shiloh all the time. Remember, Samuel's mother didn't go to Shiloh when he was born and all that, right? So, what does the Torah say you're supposed to do in Yantav? There seems to be different views in Chazal. I mean, differences in the Bible and Yushami. Differences which, to my mind, are thought provoking. Is a famous Gemara in Beitz in the Bavli, which I think I'm sure everybody knows, in which you have Rebbe Leizer saying something very weird. I'm trying to approach this today uh, with a fresh mind. Uh, according to Rebbe Leizer, a person has to choose how to celebrate Yontem. You have to choose how to celebrate Yontem, and you can't mix. Either he spends Yontem as a foodie, the Yomim Tovim being a few days in the year when he experiences the joys of Epicurean pleasure. To ordinarily, you're not like that, but in Yontif, you do. Or else he goes the learning route, spending all day learning. But you can't switch. If it's Epicureanism, you're not allowed to learn. This is the famous Gemara where a blesser says, You've got to do Ochel B'Shosef or Yosheb B'Shosef. Now, the Frum way is to say, well, he doesn't mean, but that's what he says. Now, by contrast, as everybody will remember, Rabbi Yeshua says that God, and they're talking to Risa, God wants you to do both. Part Epicureanism, part learning. Chalkehu, right? I repeat, there's nothing wrong 
with Epicureanism if it's confined to Yantiv. All during the that's that's the special din of Yantiv. Okay, fine. So you know different foods and so forth and so on. Now, um, Rabbi Yeshua's opinion seems to be sensible and down to earth. Isn't that how we regard what we learn when we learn that Gemara? But what's the story with Rebbe Lezer? I can't learn and eat well. Anyway, from a yeshivish perspective, isn't Talmud Torah Kenega Kulam? Could you imagine, for example, Rabbi Kalevsky saying, okay, it's a dealer's choice. If you want, you have to learn it all. You spend all day eating. Hold that thought. In the Yushalmi and Shabbos, not in Peso, there was a statement, even stranger, <clears throat> from the Amora, from a pair of Amoraim. Rabbi Chagai on the one hand, Rabbi Rechi on the other. This is in 78a in Shabbos. Rabbi Chagai B'Shem B'Shemul Ben Nachman says, listen closely to the language. It's only for eating. Because of a stinking mouth, said they were mater, they could be Isaac and Torah. So if you analyze these closely, it seems that these two Amaraim are like sub-schools of Rebelezer, just without the dealer's choice. Rebelezer says, it's a dealer's choice. You want to do the learning way? Fine. But then don't do the eating way. Or do you want to do the other round? It's also good. Here, you know, it's you have to do the eating way, or you have to do the learning way. It's interesting that way. Okay. Uh, now, how would you even translate the words? Because of the smelly, stinking mouth, the hitirulo, their matter to be Isaac and Torah. How would you even translate those words? It seems to me that we have four schools of thought among the Chazal, as far as the Antif is concerned. Eat yes and learn no, or the other way around, steal his choice. Learn yes and eat no. That's one way. Or learn yes and eat no. That's the Rebrechia that I just read you in Shalmi. Or eat yes and learn yes. That's Rabbi Yeshua, you know, split it. Or the Chagai. Really, you should just eat. But because of the smelly mouth, you should also learn as a sort of bidiyemic. Because the Lashem was hetirulo, lasem It's remarkable. So we have two out of four opinions who hold that really yantiv is for eating and so forth and not learning. Whoa! <laughs> What's the Shabbatis? Al Pisavara, I would venture, having historical a twist, to say Rebelezer is uh, saying that Yontif, that's Midaraisim, is for the passionate experience of God, not for some non-passionate celebration. In other words, in general, if you think about it, there are three levels of mitzvah performance. A, B, C. Rote, duty, passion. Okay? A lot of people do misses, and I'm talking about Orthodox Jews, you know, do the stuff. Some people do it as a matter of rote. Okay, I get that. You know, it's, it's, it's too much of that. The, the prophets talk about mitzvah and Hashem Fine. And then there are those who do that of a sense of duty. Okay? So, I'd rather not do it, but I'm a good Jew, and so I'll wake up in the morning at six, I'll get the shul, I'll do, I'll put on the shul, I'll do everything I gotta do, so you have no grounds for complaints against me, okay? But on the other hand, 
it's, eh, I can't say I'm passionate <laughs> at, at 6.45 in the morning. You know, I'm, not, I'm going crazy because I'm saying ashray. And then you have those who are almost passionate, right? Passionate. Now, in terms of biograph, bio, biography, Rabbi Lazar, if you think about it, is the poster boy for passion. Isn't he? I mean, what's the famous biography of Rabbi and Herkinus? He ran, we know this. There are many versions of it. They're not all identical, but it's very famous. It's in the Gemara, in the Medrash. It's the whole picture of Elazar. The beginning is about this. He ran away from home, remember, to learn in great privation. And in spite of the fact that he was disinherited, we know this story. That's a passionate person. He was called a Shamuti, even though he's nearly not a Talmud of Beishamai. If you know the biography, Rabbi Lezer is a student of um, Yochum and Zakai. Is he one of the guys that carried him out in, in, secretly from Jerusalem? Famous story. He's a Talmud of Yochum and Zakai. Yochum and Zakai was a Talmud of, not Beis Hillel, Yochum and Zakai was a Talmud of Hillel, <laughs> right? So why do you call him a Shamuti? It's not because historically he's a Shamite, it's a personality part. He had that Shamite personality type, very passion, stark. You understand? Um, he was excommunicated because he wouldn't give in, as we all know the story of the Tanrach Noi. He couldn't give in. So he was a passionate person. He's almost always the Machmer. So he's a poster boy for passion. So it's not surprising, it seems to me, that if there's a mitzvah in the Torah of Yontif, it has to be performed passionately. Having come from a family background, divorced from learning, because that's who his parents were, they're from Jews, but they had no time for learning, as the famous story goes. Remembering the yamim tovim of his youth before he flipped out, Rebbe Lezer holds there are two ways that he's aware of for doing Yontif passionately. They're mutually exclusive because they have to be. An if an Epicurean if that's what learns, if a person who's by Teva, by personality, an Epicurean, you know, he's into all the stuff you see in the, what shall I say, the ads in the Mishpacha, <laughs> the Ami, right? So if a person, an Epicurean, and he learns, it's out of sense of duty, not out of a sense of passion. I mean, if that guy goes to Dafyomi, more power to him. I'm serious. But you can't say he's doing out of a sense of passion. It's out of duty, which is also good, okay? But Yanta for Rebelezer, is for passionate enjoyment. Learning on Yontif is for those who passionately enjoy learning, which is not most people. Now, Rabbi Yeshua, by contrast, we all know, was Mr. Mello. He was literally grew up, he's not a Balshua, he literally grew up in the base Medish, Ashrei Yolodito. We, we all know the story. His mother put him in the cradle in the base Medish. You understand? He was a Mello guy, therefore he has a Mello approach. You can have both. One is not staring the other. It's interesting, by the way, that if you pursue their careers, Rabbi Yeshua got along very well with the Romans and with the Goyim. In fact, he was the guy they always called when they needed someone to debate with the uh, Goyim. And he was successful in his diplomacy with the Romans all the time. We will perhaps recall the famous incident where they were about to launch a rebellion, which, as we know from Bar Kochla, proved out to be a bad idea. And the Rabbi Yeshua, what he, he told the famous story from Aesop fable about the bone in the throat of the lion, remember that? Uh, this is in the Gemara, but here's Aesop's fables in Hebrew I picked up years ago in the Akadamon, this is for Bernie, <laughs> in, in uh, Hebrew you, okay? And uh, the reason I got it is because it's Minukuk, <laughs> okay? And if you read the Aesop fable there, 
the bone in the throat of the in the store is a famous. So Mashenkin uh, Rebelezer didn't get along with the Romans well. His relations were always bad. And as you know, he was Nick Paslaminus. He was actually arrested on charges of being a Christian, which as you know, was a radical sect. And the only way he got out of it was because he said, Nemon Alai Hadayan. You remember that story? It's a famous story in which the, the Roman judge thought, so the Roman judge thought that he was talking about himself. Remember, he said to Rebbe Lezer, right? How can a guy like you get involved with this, in this crazy stuff? Uh, and he had to like, he, let's put it this way, he wiggled out of it. But he, this is not a person who knew how to uh, finesse his relations with the Romans. So therefore, if Yeshua is much more diplomatic and moderate, uh, by the way, so that's how you would approach, it, it, at first glance, this difference of opinion, which is very interesting. On what is the proper way? Minha Torah. I'm not talking about by the time we finish with all the Talmudic laws. Minha Torah, how are you supposed to behave on Yantav? Now, the Rishonim and all, in a typical style, revolve, resolve all these uh, statements dialectically, okay? This is Beis Yosef and others. They say like this, if you're a scholar, eat and drink. If you're not a scholar, learn all day. I don't know if you know, this is Mamash in the Shulchan Aruch. Mamash in the Shulchan Aruch. It's a Reish Tzadi. It's one of the shorter chapters in Hilchus Shabbos. So everybody can read that. One of the shorter chapters in Hilchus Shabbos. And what it says is, this is the Ram Chaber, says, Achar Suda Shachris. Kovi medrash lipras benavim lidrash adibri agadatov that you have your meal for Shabbos you do then afterwards you go to shul for a shear in agadatov but also likbosid bosid shah and don't have a second meal or don't make your meal that long that it goes all day long and you miss the shear but the ramah right says upolim ubalabatim sheinos kim b'tar b'choyim eshua if you're a worker who's not a learner all week. So they should make a very small meal and a long day of learning. If you're a Talmud Chacham, it's the other way around. I don't say that's the practice, but I'm just saying that's what the Ramah says. Here it is. If you're Talmud Chacham, your meal should last longer and you should have more dashmias, shall we say, in the meal. If you're a Balabas, you should have a quick a rel relative kitsas, relatively quick meal, and spend the rest of the day learning. Because they get their own the rest of the week. So that's a dialectical re resolution. So we hold like Rebel Ezra, we hold like Rebbe Yeshua. When he was talking about one, he was talking about this, we talking about the other. Talking about that. But what about the Ushalmi that I said before? What's the story with this smelly mouth? Okay. Again, the guy, Rabbi Chagai, said, really, it should be, really, you're supposed to eat and not learn. It's a funny language, isn't it? Now, by the way, the art scroll, not surprisingly, it's kind of elides this. I don't have it in front of me, but I was just interested. I went to Shabbos, check out the art scroll of Shabbos. I can't go by the whole set, it's too expensive. <laughs> to get the art scroll, you show me, said. When I, when I worked in the arts club, they sent me to Bobby for free. I can't afford that kind of money. But I looked inside and they changed the gears up. 
from not Masriach, but Tariach or something like that. And you know, it's, it's, then you don't have to deal with the whole question. But the Vilna Gong and the Carbonate and others go with Masriya. Okay. So what do you do with the with the stinky mouth? What does that mean? Okay. Now the carbonata, the famous teacher Moses Mendelssohn, always gives a very logical, and the Vilna Gong agrees. He said like this: What do you mean smelly mouth? Either a foul language like in gossip or lashahara, or overeating will lead to barfing like the Romans used to do. He says throw up in the meal. That'll be disgusting. So to prevent that, they allowed you to learn. Isn't that weird? Listen to the language. Uh, this is the carbonata. And that's what the gross said. That's what the building on says. So you say like this, really? You spend all day eating and drinking. But in the ultimate Hasidic Arizal style, you know, all the Gashmias is super, super Kadosh. But people are like that. This is Chazal talking. You end up, if you're not learning, you end up talking about politics. Next thing you know, you're talking about Lashon Hara and who knows what. Or you'll get disgusting until you start throwing up. As the Romans used to do. Remember we all learned that? And the Roman meals, they would put part of the meal is you, you stuff yourself and then you take that syrup of epicac, whatever. And you throw up, and then you then you keep going. So that's how. So as a bidiyevid, that that's one. Now these are two plausible explanations, but they're not gripping. Okay, is that why They're very uh, very logical. Now I want to tell you my shot. Okay, there's a if you know, and I just happen to remember this, and I'm surprised I didn't see anybody say it. So it makes me wonder maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I think this is right. There's a famous medrash, Rabbi, I remember, when we used to do with the boys the medrash around on Friday night, about the war of Kedar Omer, the four and five kings over there in Lechacha. And the medrash says the following very short story. Listen closely. Meister Belezim and Herkinus, this is one version of the story of Belezim and Herkinus. So they were working on the family farm. His brothers were plowing Bemishor on a flat land, and he was assigned to plow Bahar, which is much harder. And in the course of the plowing, the cow broke a leg. So Hercules, who wanted to go to Yeshiva, he said, Litovasi, this is a good luck for me. He ran away from home, he flipped out, he went to Yeshiva Yochum and Zakai. And you and I know that it, the story is his parents disinherited him, okay? And that's something. And he was eating dirt. In other words, the yeshiva system at that time is they didn't give a lunch. And so you're on your own. He literally had no money coming from home. He must have been ashamed to admit it. He must have been. And so he was he learned and learned and was so starving. Right? Until it was impossible to be around him because I'm eating the dirt. I want to tell you, I'll tell you later, my father did this in the war. So it's a, it, it, such things happen. When you have unbelievable starvation, which we should never know, of course, obviously, when you have unbelievable starvation, you do crazy things. And in this case, it was a base madrish. They couldn't stand it. And so they complained to Rosh Hashiva that his mouth smells. Okay? 
they said to Rashi, they said, we can't stand being in here because it stinks so much, which it did, right? Which it did. So, and, but the Rosh Hashiva, Yochum and Zakai said like this, The Yochum Zakai praised this meat in him because it was a passion for learning to the point of starvation. Okay, and he said, you know, very nicely, nice story, the way your mouth smells now, the smell of your Torah will spread across the world. Now the people know you're there. Now, so Rukhagai is saying, so in my opinion, and this was a Belezer, and Belezer is the one at the Mandomer in the Bavli, you see? So Rukhagai is saying, which means, I would offer, really, Yontav is about eating and drinking. This was the original Yontav back in the desert. And by the way, it's gender neutral. It applies for women too. However, because there are some types for whom eating means nothing, like Rebelezer, who didn't mind eating foul dirt, who get no pleasure out of whatsoever, out of eating, the only they get, you know, they just eat to live. You could give them good food, bad food, no meaning. So to me, it's Pashat that when he says Pem Masriach, he must have been referring to this famous Durbelizabin Ben Hurkinus, which fits very well because Rebbe Ben Hurkinus is a Tana who is referring to Alma Nitnu Shabbos Yom Torim. Rebbe is commenting on what is the proper procedure for Yantif. Uh, so I can say, I don't know. I don't know where it is. I don't know why nobody says this. I can't be the only one who thought of this. In other words, just as there are people who get zero pleasure from learning, there's a lot of them, there are some people, fewer, who get zero pleasure from Epicureanism. In other words, it tastes good, but it doesn't give pleasure. That's very heavy. Right? It tastes good, doesn't give pleasure. And Yontif is for only for pleasure. Now, to be perfectly honest, this is a very heavy Epicurean verb. The Epicureans, as a, as a Greek philosophical school, well, were all about trying to analyze and understand philosophically what pleasure is. You understand? Not in a grub way, in a sophisticated way. And here you have a classic Epicurean part, which is whatever person like this, I don't get any pleasure from, from the food. Uh, that's my shot. As we know, Relezer and Hercules died excommunicate, cut off from scholarly discourse, which of course must have been tough. After all, what is the statement of Rebelezer in old age about the Chachamim that he records in Pirkeovis? He says, You should definitely warn yourself near them. But don't get too close, you get burned. Take it from me. The Chacham are dangerous group to mess with. I learned the hard way. All the statements in the Pirkei Elvis, if you know how, are, are biograph, autobiographical. That's Rabbi Lezer. Now, um, the story, it was the price of having a super passionate temp temperament, even passionate for Torah. 
it's possible to be super over passion for Torah, which after all, am I not wrong? Isn't that the story of his excommunication in the incident of the Tana Shalach He just, he was so attached to his shot. And he wasn't wrong as the story goes. You know, the sky fell, the wall fell and all that stuff. But he, he couldn't do the majority rule thing. And that's why they had to put him in excommunication. So in other words, he was even too passionate for that. Now, he was not the only one. The same thing happened. Who else was excommunicated? A mayor. At the end of Horius. I think we all know the story where he and uh, the Rapuna Barnasa were angry at the, uh, that the, the, the Nazi Reshkel, you know, Shimon Gamliel was insisting the old stand up for him and not for the others and so forth. And by the time it's over, he lost. And having once occupied the highest post, it was like Dab Basin or something like that, Rameir was reduced to obscurity. This is something we usually don't think about when we talk about the career of Rameir. Akadekah, they, you know, they, they one mentioned his name, they call Machir Momrim, which means he was stripped into his obscurity. And the grudge was held because there's a famous Gemara, it's all Nandahorius. I assume that everybody's familiar more or less with this story. And that was Shim Gamliel. And when his son, Rebbe, Rebbe Nasi, was learning, remember, he said, Who are these people that we never mentioned their names? And isn't it over already? And the father, Shim Gamliel, says, <laughs> he quoted from Tehillim that the, the, the fight goes on. Even though the en- enemy is gone, uh, the sword is always out eternally. We're going to keep their memory. We're going to reduce them to obscurity. Rava says that the enmity even included into the time of Reuda Nasi. The Gemara says over there in Horius, Amar Rava, Afil Rebbe Don Vasanahu, even Rebbe who was on of, he used to say Amr Mishumra Mayor, Amr Mayor Lo Amr. Right? We never drove, quote Rameir directly, even though it wasn't at his time. Okay? Now, in that light comes the famous story, which I believe is the most famous Agadita in the Yerushalmi Beitza, I think. And it goes like this Rebbe Have a Mesa of Shemabre, Rabbi Nasi was making a chasana for his son. And they were clapping, not like this, but like that. Okay? Not like this, but like that, with a sheen on. Okay? So, you know, they were having singing and shabrachas and all that stuff. Over Rev Shimon, and it was on Shabbos. So, no, it was the shabrachas, and they're clapping and that sort of thing. Over a mayor, Rashama, mayor was walking outside, the old um, excommunicated, ostracized or mayor, you know, in a different situation in life. This is many years later after he was excommunicated. This is Rabbi Nasi, the son of Shimon making a chasana for his son. Okay? Omar, Rabbi Hussein, what's your Shabbos? They said like you do in May Sharm. Shabbos! Because he didn't approve. Now, I won't get in the halachic debate. Now, did he disapprove of this or did he think they were doing this? Different Rishonim. Whatever. He screamed, what's your Shabbos? Uh, Shama Rebbe Kohli, Rehuda Nasi was inside and he heard somebody doing Shabbos. So basically it's like the, you know, like the Gare Rebbe and somebody's like this, Shabbos? He said, who are you? Omer, mi huzeh, Shabolar doseinu betoch beseinu. Who has the chutzpah to, to, to try to lure doseinu to dominate us in our house? Listen, who's telling me I'm from? Beast Amri, mi huzeh, Shabolar doseinu betoch beseinu. Or maybe he said it that way. 
Shom Rameer Koli. Outside, Rameer heard the booming voice of Rina Nasi saying, who's got the chutzpah to, to, to tell me off on Shabbos? Of Orak, right? And he fled because they're afraid he'd come out and beat him up. Nafkin Pari Basre and the goon squad, the, 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 um, the butlers, you know, the household people of the of Yonanasi ran out to chase after him. And he fled. Pari Basre, Mifrim Ifrach Rucha Pakli Malkagli Dramir. And since he was running so fast, his turban fell off. And you could see, like this, the back of Rameir's head, like this, right? Guess he was a child, you know, he was wearing a hat. Now he fled. His hat, like we say in English, his hat fell off, okay? Odik Rabbi Kavasa, isn't it a story? Rabbi Nasi, he wasn't the one who ran out. The students and the staff ran out chasing him. Rabbi Nasi looks through the window. Bechame covered Rameir Machor, and he saw the back of Rameir flee. Omar, he said, now listen closely to the language. Lo zochi sanolo raisa, I will begin the chami kadar amei mechuruf. Lo zochi sanolo raisa, I was only zocha lo raisa, because I saw the back of Rameir's neck. I'm going to say it again, listen closely to the language. It's not exactly the way others think. Lo zochi anolo raisa, I will begin the chami kadar amei mechuruf. I was not zocha but raisa, except when I saw his back. Now, the regular Mepharshim explained this pietistically, okay? That just seeing the back of Rameir has miraculous effects, because this is based on the Bavli. In the Gemara, in the first parak in Erevin, uh, Gimel, it says, Amar Rebbe, this is a, a similar but not identical thing. Amar Rebbe, the reason I was more mechudat than my friends, better in learning, the chazisi Rameir machuri, because I saw Rameir from behind. Had I seen Mayor in the Rameir in the face, I'll be more sharp because So the typical way is to say, you show me saying the same thing, right? But um, I mean a 19th century rationalist Mafarish in Lithuania would say, you know, seeing the body of Rameir, now you understand his cage, and when he says something, you see his body. You, it, it, it sticks better in the mind. The upturned the thumb, the twist of the body makes it, makes it easy to comprehend what he was saying because everybody knows Rameir was so sharp. Lo yardu chaver layer the soap daito. Kind of makes sense. So the easiest way is to say that the Babli and Yushalmi are saying the same thing, with the Yushalmi giving the drama, the drama, you understand, behind the pietistic statement of Rebbe. But to my mind, this ignores some salient historical facts. Rameir, who is he? Rameir was a contemporary of Rebbe's father, of Hashem Gamliel. Rameir had an unusual background. He was the son of a Roman general. We all remember this, or maybe a grandson. The guy who, sh who shot the arrow at the temple in Kamsa Bar Kamsa's story, I think you know that. So usually we don't consider Rameir was a son or grandson of a care, and a Roman too. He, was a, he lived through the time of the Arasari Rugamalchus, one of whom was his father-in-law. Is there a mayor, the son-in-law, brewery, you know, of Chaneim ben Tradian? So he lived through all the, 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 the destruction of the old generation. In other words, the old Sanhedrin was destroyed, and Rameir and others fled into exile. We're coming up soon to the Gemara Megillah. I bet you, and I don't follow the Yummy, maybe they're learning it now. Doesn't it talk about the fact that Rameir was in exile 
he wrote a Megillah by heart. Remember that the Gemara discusses this? And I said, what was he doing there? He's fleeing from the Roman persecution. And he returned to Israel when the persecution ceased. So he was part of the post-Holocaust generation that restarted the Sanhedrin. That's who he was. Now, Rameir was a Talmud Mubak of Rabbi Kiva, which is very important in the history of the Torah Shalopeh, the way people don't realize. Before I explain this, I will point out that Rabbi Akiva, round two, his first students died to 24,000, you know, in, in the sphere of time. But round two, he had five super Talmudim, which the, which the Chazal say, Omdu umilu kol Torah. They filled the whole Eretz Yisrael with Torah. This is Rameir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Shimon Lozer, and Rolozer. I want you to notice, it does not include Shimon Gamliel. Again, Rameir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Shimon Lozer, Rolozer. If you're familiar with the second generation time, time these are the ones you usually come across. But it does include the Nossi uh, of Shimon Gamliel. Why am I emphasizing this? We all know that clashes broke out between Shema Gamliel and Rameir, this, the Talmud Mubuk of Rabbi Kiva, and somebody, the Nasi, coming from a completely different thing. And the Shema Gamliel was eventually successful in getting Rameir expelled from the Sanhedrin. We all know from Horius, at the end, that Rameir's Torah was too indispensable to be omitted from the Sanhedrin deliberations. And so they were indeed included, but without attribution. It was a harem omer. In other words, the name of Rameir was never mentioned. This strategy was so effective that the young son of Shema Gamliel, Nazir Nasi when he was young, had to ask his father, who was a harem? It's all, I just don't want to take your time. It's all in the end of Horeus. Remember, it said, remember the son of Shema Gamliel, the future of Yudha Nasi, said, Me heim halolu, shemei <laughs> we use these fars all the time. You never mentioned the name. And you know, the father said, oh, they're bad people. The father didn't answer the name. He said, these are trying people trying to mess us over. Father did not say who it was. So it would seem the two never met. In other words, Rameir and Rehuda Nasi. At least not normally. The Rameir was on the outs. There never was a reconciliation. And yet, the Igeris of Shiragong says that Rebbe was an intellectual follower of Rameir, or more accurately of Rameir's work, which is interesting. Uh, here we get into the famous Shiragong. According to him, the mission that you and I have today was not written by Rebbe, was not composed by Rebbe. Rather, the Mishnah was written or composed by Rameir. That is the meaning of Stam Mishnah Rameir, according to Shiragong. Is written for all the other explanations. Incidentally, Rameir composed it based on the version of Rabbi Kiva. All this is a Shiragong. So in other words, the Mishnah that you and I have is originally the Mishnah of Rabbi Kiva, reworked by Rameir, and then reworked a third and final time by Yudha Nasi. Incidentally, Rameir composed it by, okay. In, it, in other words, there were various versions of the Mishnah, okay? But Rabbi did the final edit one of Rameir's, and this version knocked out all the others, which is why all the others disappeared into oblivion. These words are actually in the Shuragun. I have it in front of me. I just don't feel like, like reading everything at great length. I may read a small piece later. 
So the intellectual relationship of Rebbe and Rameir is huge, but the personal relationship was non-existent. So it seems they never met each other. I mean, look, according to this, he never saw him except in the old age when he ran away from the goon squad on Shabbos and he saw the back of his neck. I mean, if he knew him all the time, what do you mean? I saw the back of Rameir. You understand? The relationship was not good. Otherwise, why would Rameir run away? It is a weird story, isn't it? Right? It is a weird story. If so, what's the meaning of this statement? Doesn't sound like a pietistic statement. If it was, why didn't Rabbi Yonanasi treat Rameir better? In general, I want to suggest the following. Again, because of the history. Rabbi made this statement years later in retrospect, after he had issued his edition of the Mishnah. Indeed, we know Rabbi had a first version of the Mishnah and then replaced it with a second. There's something called the Mishnah Rishona and the Mishnah Chrona. The precise meaning of these terms has been debated by scholars in the 19th century, uh, you know, at great length. Is uh, W.C. Hoffman, a whole book called The Erste Mishnah, the Mishnah Rishona, with his, his Mahal from the Hildesheimer. Then, if you prefer, you can do the Doris uh, Rishonim through a Victor Miller. He'll tell you a different version of what the Mishnah Rishonim means, or you saw the Mishnah as he called it. Or if you want to, I was just in, in um, Lawrence two weeks ago, uh, and I ran into uh, Ari Bergman, I still remember how long ago, and he put out a book on Doris um, Rishonim. Gave me, it was nice enough to give me a copy. And when she goes into this stuff, this is an old raid, you know. What exactly was the Mishnah But there was, there was. Now, um, I think, in my opinion, especially based on this Yushalmi, it may mean the following the first Rebbe, who Shriagon tells us knew 13 versions of the Mishnah. So you understand the Mishnah would be some kind of organized oral text, which goes through what you and I would refer to. As called Terakula. Didn't have to be necessarily throwing money, Nashim, could be other ways. And recording the opinions. This is complicated and it is at, at great length in the, if you want to get the new art scroll, <laughs> Shiragon in English, I guess. Uh, I did the translation. And since today's my father's yard set, I can tell you it's hard to deal with art scroll. And I said, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to let you use it anymore unless you put in something for my parents and for my father-in-law. So that's the part you see about my father. And they said, we want to change the words. I want to let them change the words. Okay, at the beginning of the Shurgon, that's my little contribution to art school history. So what's going on over here? I think Rebbe first knew the, the 13 variants, put together a version of the Mishnah, subsequently put together a second, the Mishnah Chorona, which he held was an improved version, and that's the mission we showed, that, that's the mission we have today, right? Although sometimes he retained the original uh, Nosa, as the Gemara says occasionally, mission we show the Lozoza Mimikoma. Once upon you have that. Uh, now, this latter Mishnah, the Mishnah Chrona, was Rabbi Meir's Mishnah. Okay? No, it was Rebbe's editing and reworking of Rabbi Meir's Mishnah. That's what you and I have today. What about the mission we showed up? I think what happened was as follows. At first, Rebbe constructed the Mishnah Rishona from the other variants. He added those 13 variants. It says he had Yud Gimel uh, style into a single version, but then he reconsidered and instead went for the version of Rameir. He must have reconsidered and, and viewed 
Rameir is a superior, there is switched to it, thereby rescuing Rameir from oblivion and producing a superior product, sort of, because he doesn't say, you know, I want to read you what Shuragon says over here in a remarkable passage. He says, I'll read the Hebrew and it'll be easy to read it with the English next to me. Just give me a second. It's a, a very interesting uh, part. Um, here we go. After talking about Rameir and so forth, Benokit Rebbe Behochasa Orchad Rameir. Rebbe Behavi Orchad Rabbi Kiva, Kivan the Chaza Rebbe the Orchad Rameir, Kitsar Krova, Luma the Dvarm, Bukhobarm Chibur Yafa, called Dover Dover Mashadomolo, whom would do docking Dvarm Harbi Yoser, Mikulra Bonatanoi. Rebbe realized that the system of Rameir, which was really that of Rabbi Kiva, was succinct, easy to learn, and well organized with each subject next to something similar. The text was much more precisely formulated than the text of the other Tanoim. It had no excess verbiage and every law was well understood without saying anything more. Okay. Uh, and uh, what he's saying is like this. Every word was so oiskalten that there was no no need to refer to other things, except in a few places. Except in a few places. And each word was so well constructed, Rameir's, that it had gedols in the flows. And now everybody can write this well. In other words, as we all know from experience, you can be a big Talmud Chacham and not know how to give it well. You can be a very big scholar and not necessarily be a great writer. So Rameir had that gift. A person can build up his IQ, but to have the, this, the luck and skill to write well that it appeals to others, that's a gift from God. It's, it's not something you can, you can learn. Okay? So in other words, the superiority of Rameir's stuff, material, was just there. Okay, um, so something caused Rabbi to rethink his Mishnah, the one that would consign the others to oblivion, because he knew when he was right. And Shogun says, once this comes out, it will knock all the others out of the park. And nothing was written in those days. So if you're not constantly repeated, it'll fall into disuse, which happened. Okay, and he's going to. Eat, uh, uh, so something caused Rabbi to rethink his Mishnah, the one would consign the others to oblivion and use Rameirs but without attribution, <laughs> right? They don't say this in the Mishnah. Shuriragon tells us it. Don't say in the Mishnah, right? If not with Shuriragon, we wouldn't know it. What, he says that's the meaning of Stam Mishnah Rameir. There are other interpretations of that phrase, and that's what everybody would go with. So he rescued Rameir's material, but he didn't exactly say, you know. Uh, now, what, would, what was the cause of Rebbe to rethink, to reconsider? From the I think it may be the incident in Yerushalmi Beitzah. That's what I want to suggest today. The elderly, friendless Rameir, fleeing in fear and disgrace, which Rebbe observed from afar, it says, you know, the more everything's Kavsa, he saw from a window, from afar physically and afar emotionally, seeing the back of the neck and not the face. The man in disgrace, not in glory, 
he's no longer as a zero threat. The enmity lessens, and Rebbe could be more rational about Rameir to a degree, right? And from a rational point of view, Rameir's was a superior, and it certainly his Mishnah was. If Rebbe wanted his mission to take off, he had to use the best quality text out there, oral text, and that was Rameir. So the story of the wedding and the clapping is secondary in historical importance to the history of, of Torah literature. Now in the halachic literature, Beisios and the other talk about you know, this versus this. But I'm talking about something uh, broader. I've come to the end of my remarks. I would just say my, briefly, my father resembled Rebbe Lezer, Yeshua, and Rameir in his generation. How, do you, how did my father resemble Rebbe Lezer? He ate dirt. <laughs> We had plenty of times in the Holocaust. We went, Mama, she closes the Doma. He told me, that's why he was sick. I don't know how he survived. And you know, when you're starving, 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 you put anything in your mouth. And he heard from others. You taste something, if it's super bitter, you spit it out. If it's not super bitter, just stomp bitter, you swallow it. Uh, like it worked, it didn't work. You know, he's three quarters dead, but he made it. Mm-hmm. But Yeshua, he was much more of a mellow person. So if my father was definitely Chalkeo, Chasi Lechem, Chasi Lechem. That's just who he was by temperament. And like Rameir, my father lived through the Hasar Rugi Malchus in Lithuania. And he was part of the generation that spent the remaining years rebuilding and refilling the world with Torah. Not like Rameir, but certainly not without passion either. So with that, I conclude Yezich Obarch. I thank you for giving me your attention. And um, if anybody's interested in Baltimore and joining, we're gonna, I'll try to put a minchem in you together. I didn't have a chance to say Kaddish in a little while. I just didn't know how long this would last. And with that, I wish you all a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Dave?